This is the last Sunday night uh, Bible teaching from, from me for the rest of the year. The people complain, and on down here, you're going to see that Moses falls apart. You knew it couldn't last forever, right? Things were just going too well. Here's the setting. For a little more than 11 months or so, the people have been sitting still, fellowshipping. Everything was taken care of for them. There would be wonderful experiences in worship. They were well organized now. An army, which I'm sure at, at this point in time would have been one of the largest armies in the world. Now, they weren't that experienced, I suppose, but <clears throat> still, there were a lot of them ready to fight on all four sides. At the presence of the living God, it was visible. He cared for them. He fed them. And so now, after 11 months of just chilling out without any challenges, they are told to do something. Not by Moses, but by Yahweh. Time to move on. People don't like change. I don't like change. But you can't stay somewhere like this forever as the people of God. As the world turns and goes on, there is a challenge to be met. These people have a purpose in the plan of God. They are designed to be the priesthood for the world. The love of God, the salvation that God provides, was never intended to be only for Israel. But true salvation needs to be understood from God's perspective in the sense that God's justice has been violated. His law has been broken. So first of all, you have to have a law. People are ignorant. They think they can do anything they want to do. They can define their own righteousness. And so therefore, God has to define what human perfection is. And this would be his demand. You can't stand in the presence of a holy God with any whit of sin in your life. It can't happen. But first of all, people have to understand what sin is. God defines the standard of human perfection And he defines it with negative statements. You shall not, you shall not. 
It carried with it, of course, the warning. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know, you can do whatever you want to except one thing. You shall not eat of this particular tree. And so man failed all the way. Abraham, they all failed. Israel has already failed. But the merciful God, Yahweh, will not be stopped in his eternal purpose, which he has declared he will work out through his people to his glory in the world. At this point in time, it will be through Israel, whether they like it or not. So now with all of the organization that's been made, they're ready for war, they are ready for worship, they are ready for administration, they're ready to travel. All, all the details have been taken care of, preparations have been made, now it's time. Way back, hundreds of years earlier, God made the promise of a land. In the Old Testament, the people and the land go together. Actually, beyond that, even, even into the millennial kingdom, a fulfillment of the land for the people, same, under the same covenant. So the people now, totally numbered in the millions, the ones who have been counted number in the 600,000s, I think. But all of those who haven't been counted and are there would bring them up into the two to three million number. And so it's time to move on. It's time to strike the rope of your tent and move toward the higher blessing. I, it's always been that God's people cannot, for some reason, have a, I won't say cannot, but in the vast number of cases, have a very difficult time moving in faith. There's always somebody there who says we can't do this. Here is the first record of, at this time after all of the organization has been made, the first time now at this point that the people will complain. The people were looking to complain. I intend to complain. I'm going to do something even if it's wrong. The people were looking to complain. It was evil in the ears of Yahweh. Yahweh heard his anger flared and a fire from Yahweh burned among them, consuming the extremes of the camp. That's pretty scary. The outer edges of the camp. He didn't consume them all, but there was a consuming fire at the extremes of the camp. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to Yahweh, and the fire died down. 
He named that place Tavra, burning. For the fire of Yahweh had burned among them there. The multitude is the first word over here in the Hebrew text. It's, it's a word that means, I just called it multitude, but as, as opposed to Israel, this is a mixed multitude is what some translations say. But the word is really a, a, a dark word. It means rabble or riffraff. The overall picture is that as the, as the Israelites were being delivered out of Exodus, there was some confusion, I suppose. The Egyptians were giving them their gold and all of their stuff just to get rid of them because of the plagues and especially the last one. And with great joy and energy, they were exiting Egypt and they were leaving their place of bondage. Tagging along were people who were of a mixed multitude. They were not truly children, sons of Israel, children of Israel. But in the rush and in the joy, who wants to stop and say to somebody, no, you can't come. Other slaves perhaps saw their opportunity for leaving, getting freedom. For whatever reason, a mixed multitude who really gave trouble all the way joined themselves with the Exodus. I do not say they joined themselves with Israel, but they joined themselves in the Exodus. And here we learn that it all started with them. But the riffraff, the rabble, among them began to have strong cravings. Then even the sons of Israel once again began to cry and they said, who will feed us meat? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt free of charge, cucumbers, watermelons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now our bodies are dried out for there is nothing at all. We have nothing but manna to look at. It was only by the grace of God that they got the manna. But God would care for them and take care. He provided water for them. He gave them everything they needed. The complaining starts from the outlying areas, the tagalongs, and the fire falls. This should have been a lesson, you think? This should have been, a, well, actually... It should have been a lesson from the very start. I'm telling you something. If I had experienced the Passover night, it seems as though I would want to behave myself. If I had experienced the parting of the Red Sea, it seems like I would want to behave myself if I saw the presence of the Almighty God in a cloud and in a fire, I think I would want to behave myself. 
how quickly people forget things. The blessings of God, the lessons of history. You remember 9-11. I don't think it was 10 years until we were actually entering into a, an era of, of some kind of strange political compromise that we swore we'd never do just 10 years earlier. Because we just didn't, we just forgot it. Well, now we, I could stand here and talk about that kind of thing on and on. But there are lessons in the Old Testament about how horribly, it wasn't being forgetful. It was being absolutely disobedient, rebellious, and sinful. You remember Lazarus in the parable. Died, the rich man died. The rich man cried out, send Lazarus back from the grave. I have kinfolks, I have brothers. And the Lord said, or Abraham said, look, they have the Bible, they have the law and the prophets. If they don't believe that, even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't believe. This, this strong testimony of the very presence of God, the giving of the law, the, the elaborate worship and ceremony and ritual, the avenue of, of mercy and forgiveness, Atonement for all sins. The very day of atonement itself. All of these things given. The lash of the taskmaster's whip forced to live in horrible conditions as slaves. That's not what they remembered. You've heard about looking at things through rose-colored glasses. These people are looking back in some kind of strange pair of rose-colored glasses. They didn't own their families. They didn't own themselves. They were subject to any, at any time to being lashed with a whip. They were being forced into hard, terrible labor all day into the night. They didn't control their time or themselves at all. Not even their families. And they're wanting to go back. Because what they remember is the food that was free. I don't like cucumbers. I don't like watermelon without salt. I don't want to make a meal of onions and garlic. And this is something that's desirable to them. I've been around enough murmuring church members and complainers through the years to know 
that once, once they buy in to a spirit of murmuring, they'll murmur about anything. Doesn't matter. I've been there. I've been there many times. I've told you about the time when I was at a church and in one Wednesday night, a gracious brother had previously contributed. We had horrible carpet. The whole thing, we had red carpet. We had blue pews and brown choir loft right here. Of course, there was always a Lord's Supper table there. And right there, let's see, it would be to my right from up here, right there, a little bigger than a basketball, was a stain where a dear elderly deacon brother dropped a tray of grape juice during a Lord's Supper service. I inherited that stain. It was there when I went and I was there for eight years. It was there when I went there, and I had to ask, finally, what is that? I thought, man, have you killed a bullock or something here and offered us, was that a previous pastor? It looked like something had just bled there. But it was grape juice, a whole tray of it. I suppose half the congregation that day was denied the juice. (laughs) It was so old that it was frayed where people walked, especially right here in the altar area. It was coming apart. And the dear lady who was our maintenance lady and a longtime member of the church took, we're talking about a fire engine red carpet. And she took orange yarn and a knitting needle <laughs> and she pulled that thing back together in those areas where they were pulling apart, fire engine red with orange yarn. People come to join the church, that's the first thing they would see. You, know, you could almost see it on their faces. <laughs> A stain. An orange yarn holding fire engine red carpet together. <laughs> so I had this group of people. We want to change this out. Somebody gave all the money. Changed out the carpet in one Wednesday night. One Wednesday night had people, they would take up the pews that needed to be took up. They took up the carpet. They removed the um, the choir, these were like theater seats. They were kind of nice. And the decision was made, since everything was mostly blue, all the pews were blue, padded, that we would put about this shade, I guess, of blue carpet. They came out on Thursday, the carpet company, after Wednesday night, 
this fairly large group of people ripped it all up, made the preparations, and in they came. I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. It looked so good. It finally blended. We had a lady, we had, uh, we had curtains. I can't describe. They were velvet, and they probably weighed about 500 pounds. They were long, fire engine red, and it had that, whatever you call that thing, across the top of it. What? Valance. Did it have gold fringe at the bottom? I can't remember. It was, it probably did. But it looked like, you know, Phantom of the Opera or something. <laughs> and we had this lady who was very professional. She said, I will make a new set of curtains. That's great. I don't know how many men it took to hoist down those curtains. Those things were heavy. And then she made a new valance, beautiful thing. It was stained wood and the fresh curtains were like eggshell or something. I don't know, they were kind of off-white a little bit as I recall. Everything just blended in so perfectly. It was so beautiful. It was like a, a fresh breath of air or something. Well, that was on Wednesday night. They finished the carpet I think that day, on Thursday, I was so happy. It looked so good. But then came Sunday. People came in, old, longtime members. And they came in as we were bringing people in to the building for Sunday school. They frowned. Who did this? I said, well, bless God, we had a gift and we had workers to volunteer and we got fresh new decoration here and fixed it all. Who said you could do that? Well, I asked one of them a question. I said, well, I said, I, I, I can't, I, I didn't say, it. I said, I didn't ask a question. I said, well, I, I hope you're not suggesting that I take this up and put the other one back down. <laughs> Seemed a little bad. Matter of fact, when we took that up, it just fell apart. Was, you know. And this, I don't know, they may have still been complaining about that when I left. I can't remember. If it wasn't that, it was something else. I can tell you that. Because of the Spirit. We'll see that here in a minute. Because of the Spirit. And the people, I had a church. It was my first church. <laughs> oh, man. I was very young. 26, I guess. 20, 28, 27. I don't know. I'm so old, I can't remember how young I was then. But I had to moderate the business meetings, you know. And there were two families. I won't call their names, but they were like the Hatfields and McCoys. 
And it's according to which family had the most people on business meeting night as to what got done. If this family over here made a motion, they were all for it, and this family was all against it. It could have been a motion to welcome Jesus Christ himself into the service. And if somebody on one side had made the motion, the other side would have rejected it. It was really kind of comical. Well, now I could go on with this, okay? When the people have that kind of spirit, it's just there. What do you do? Now, you may as well complain. Now, they're going to describe here, they're going to describe what the manna was like. The manna was like sweet wafers. What's wrong with a sweet wafer? Well, okay, so our bodies are dried out. There's nothing at all. See, that's not true. That's the way people are, though. We don't have anything. We just have this manna. You see the lie. There's a contradiction there. We don't have anything. We just have manna. So, it started with the mixed multitude. Now, the man that was like coriander seed, its appearance was like the appearance of crystal. People walked out and gathered it. They ground it in a mill, crushed it in a mortar, cooked it in a pot, made it into cakes. It had the taste of oil cake. When the dew descended on the camp at night, the manna would descend upon it. Just go out and gather it. Be creative, make something out of it. And they had that all the time. They didn't like it. We want what we had in Egypt. I would rather be a slave with a crystal burger than a free man with a sweet cake. That's how they were. We want to go back. It was a little late for that. <laughs> the, the blue carpet had already been installed. You can't go back. Now, Moses, it gets to him. Satan knows this. And I know how Moses felt. Moses heard the people weeping with their families, each one at the entrance of his tent. Yahweh became very angry and Moses considered this whole thing evil. Moses said to Yahweh, why have you treated your servant? What did I do? <laughs> That's pretty good. Why couldn't I have led the Amalekites? Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your eyes that you placed the burden of this entire people upon me? Now Moses, and this is a standard reaction. What have I done that you would put me here in this place? Did I conceive this entire people? 
Did I give birth to them? He's getting kind of sassy now with Yahweh. As you say to me, carry them in your bosom as the nurse carries the suckling to the land you promised their forefathers. It's getting to Moses. You can see this. It's getting to him. Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they're crying on me saying, give us meat to eat. Alone, I cannot carry this entire people. It's too hard for me. If this is the way you treat me, just kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, if you like me, you'll kill me. <laughs> so that I not see my misfortune. Every pastor I know in this world understands how Moses feels. I can tell you that. Just kill me. I'm, I'm well insured. I, I, everything's going to be all right. Get me out of the, I can't handle this. He's about to snap. Elijah, greatest prophet in the Old Testament, he's about to snap. Till God took care of him. Sent an angel. The angel said to Elijah, the journey is too great for you. He's crying out for God to kill him. He wanted to die. Sweetly and smoothly, soothing Elijah, he brought him a meal. Let him go back to sleep. Gave him another meal. Let him go back to sleep. Let him rest. The journey is too great for you. You don't mean what you're saying. Well, Moses here has reached his limit. If you like me, Kill me so that, I won't get, so that I don't have to see it get any worse than this. So Yahweh permits Moses to appoint help for himself. Seventy elders. Yahweh said to Moses, assemble for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the people's elders and officers, and you shall take them to the tent of meeting and they shall stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will increase the spirit that is upon you and bestow it upon them. The spirit of leadership, the spirit of, of being a leader of God's people, I will extend it through you to these 70 elders and bestow it upon them and then they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you don't need to bear it alone. The grace of God. He will help Moses by letting Moses appoint for himself trustworthy elders, 70 of them. Now, the people will receive now meat for a month. To the people you shall say, prepare yourselves for tomorrow and you'll eat meat. Because you've cried in the ears of Yahweh saying, who will feed us meat? For we had it better in Egypt. Therefore Yahweh will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat it not one day and not two days, not five days, nor 10 days, and not 20 days, but even for a full month until it comes out of your nose and nauseates you. 
I like chocolate malts. But when I get into about the third one, I'm done with it, you know? <laughs> the manna was easy on you. I'm going to give you some spicy birds. And you're going to like it. I'm going to force feed you. This is like waterboarding. <laughs> We're going to jam these quails down your throat. You want meat? I'll give you meat. Until it nauseates you. I like this. Because you have despised Yahweh who is among you. I'm in the middle of you. Where do you think I, oh, excuse me, I'm standing here. Why are you complaining? And you cried before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? What a horrible thing to say. For all that God did, that they could be delivered from bondage, his people that he chose. And now Moses' faith suffers a little bit. Moses said 600,000 people on foot are the people in whose midst I am. And you say, I will give them meat and they'll eat it for a full month. If sheep cattle were slaughtered for them, would it suffice for them? If all the fish of the sea were gathered for them, would it suffice for them? Well, the answer is no. Once you can't be satisfied, you can never be satisfied. It's just the way it is. Then Yahweh said to Moses, is my power limited? Now you will see if my power, if my word comes true for you or not. You think I can't send enough meat to feed not just your army that you've numbered, but all of their family members, three million people. You think I can't do that. What, what tremendous lessons. I don't care what it is that any of us ever face. <laughs> the power and reach of Yahweh is infinite. It's unlimited. There's nothing he can't do. Nothing he can't do. You will see if my word comes true for you or not. Moses went out and told the people what Yahweh had said. He assembled 70 men of the elders of the people, stood them around the tent. Yahweh descended in a cloud and spoke to him, and he increased some of the spirit that was on him and bestowed it, went out from him to 70 elders. When the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they didn't always do this. They didn't continue. But for this moment, the power of the authority and the declaration, the power of the declarations of Moses, the man of God, would go through his elders. And they had a spirit that Yahweh put on Moses and it went out from Moses to them. And that bonding of Moses and his elders caused these elders to know that this is exactly what Yahweh's will is. And so in, in Moses' place and in the strength of Moses, they go forth and they prophesy. Now two men remained in the camp. There were 68 of them that came. Two of them didn't. Probably they were 
ceremonially unclean at that point in time to come into the tent of meeting, but Yahweh accepts their absence. So everything's okay there. The name of one of them was Eldad. The name of the second was Medad. The spirit rested upon them. They were among those written, but they did not go out to the tent, but still they prophesied in the camp. The lad ran and told Moses, saying, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant from his youth, answered and said, Moses, my master, imprison them. Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? If only all of Yahweh's people were prophets, that Yahweh would bestow his spirit upon them. Then Moses entered the camp, he and the elders of Israel. So Moses and the 70 will bring forth the word of God from heaven and will declare to the people that Yahweh will care for them. And in the declaration, Yahweh through and because of this, because of his word, Yahweh will act. The quail and the plague. So Moses says, if all the, how are you going to do this? Well, here, fairly simple for Yahweh. A wind went forth from Yahweh and swept quails from the sea and spread them over the camp about one day's journey this way and one day's journey that way. All over the camp and one day's journey beyond. All around the camp, about two cubits above the ground. They were everywhere. Now they'll probably start complaining about bird droppings. The people rose up all that day and all night and all the next day they gathered the quails. Even the one who gathered the least collected 10 heaps of quails. They spread them around the camp in, in piles. Now this is going to go on for 30 days, for a month, remember? Yahweh said, I'll give you meat. I'm going to force feed you meat until it nauseates you. And on the 31st day, you'll be throwing up quail meat. The meat was still between their teeth. It was not yet finished. And the anger of Yahweh flared against the people. And Yahweh struck the people with a very mighty blow. He named that place Kivrot Hada'ava, that is the, the graves of craving. For there they buried the people who craved. Apparently, their lust for this meat created problems and finally many of them died. From Kivrat Hatava, the people traveled to Hazarot and they stayed in Hazarot. Now it gets, it gets more interesting from there, but will God willing, if God gives us 
January, we'll pick back up with the book of Numbers. And the last thing that we leave with here to think about is the murmuring of the people, a spirit of complaining, a spirit of murmuring, and the staggering of Moses. And for all of the weakness, weaknesses, and for all that they faced, yet Yah was with them. But what we will see is this is a cumulative thing in this generation. It doesn't just stop here. It continues. This, this spirit of complaining has now, it locks itself in the hearts of these people so that an entire generation will die in the wilderness. That 11-day journey becomes a 40-year nightmare for these people because of their unbelief. We'll stop there and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for how gracious you are to us even in spite of ourselves. How you care for us. Oh Lord, give us a spirit of meekness and thanksgiving in everything. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.